Happy Easter. The ancient Paschal greeting for Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Those words are centuries old, millennial old. We really don't know where they came from, but they certainly express what what we hold to be true, what we believe, what our faith is based on, that Jesus Christ is risen from the, from the grave. Even now He is still alive, sits at God's right hand to make intercession for us. We celebrate Easter in the spring, but in reality, each Sunday morning is Resurrection Day. We meet with other believers. We, we offer our praise and thanks to God for what He's done. We hear from His Word. We celebrate that we don't serve a, a dead Savior, a dead Lord, one who's still in the grave, but one who has been raised from the grave. Luke actually records those two phrases. He is risen, and then later He is risen indeed in chapter 24. We'll take a look at that, um, as well as little bits and pieces, probably from all four Gospels, from Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 57, Mark chapter 15, verse 42, Luke chapter 23, verse 50, and John chapter 19, verse 38. But before we look at the Scripture, let's, let's pray and just ask God to speak to our hearts today to illumine our minds and to put motion in our feet as we read His Word and accounts that are very familiar but that we need to hear over and over. Father, we just thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the salvation that You provided us by Jesus' death on the cross, that by Your power He was raised on the third day and ascended and even now sits at Your right hand making intercession for us. God, may Your Holy Spirit just open our hearts and our minds that we might just gain a way to apply these truths that we're very familiar with, but that we need reminders and, and that we might be better servants for You, that we might be compassionate for the lost and seek to show them the truth that they can find only in Jesus and in His death and resurrection. It's in His name I pray. Amen. In his biography on Jesus, Chuck Swindoll says, The first few hours of Sunday morning were nothing short of pandemonium, of which the four Gospels give, a, give an account. Again, we're going to look at those four accounts, Matthew, starting in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. And as you read the accounts, uh, maybe you've read them this week. If not, I hope you go back and, and reread all four accounts. You kind of see a smorgasbord board of events. Remember, smorgasbord was what they called buffets back in the day. Maybe they changed the name because buffet is easier to spell and certainly easier to pronounce. 
but it's it's all you can eat but you never get full the more you read the of the excitement that's recorded in the in the four events as well as the preaching of Peter and Stephen and Acts and Paul's letters there are too many talking points it's it's like not to be trite but it's like the excitement that that maybe you hear from in reports of youth camp or a mission trip or some great sporting event where you have multiple uh, participants and even even witnesses and, and they're all trying to describe what they experienced in that week of, of youth camp. Um, maybe they want to start with Friday and then they jump back to Tuesday. It's, it's just that sort of a buffet of a picture of God's grace, of God's power when we read all, all of these accounts and, and try to put them together. Reading through them multiple times this week, <clears throat> I spotted three questions that are, that are in, in these texts. The first one is Mark 16.3, and we'll, we'll start there. Actually, let's start in Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? That kind of puts us in the, in the context of the of the passage, of, of the events that on Easter we certainly celebrate the resurrection. We're reminded just by the, the word resurrection that Jesus had died three days before on Friday. He was crucified. And then late Friday afternoon after Jesus had, had died, we, we get the accounts of Joseph of Arimathea from John, we learned that Nicodemus was with him uh, in, in Mark chapter 15. It says that when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was dead, he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he had where he was laid. So the first question that kind of, I don't know, caught my attention this year, this time reading through the, the gospel accounts of the resurrection, was the women going to the tomb on Sunday morning. And as they're going, 
they're, they're asking one another who is going to roll this stone away. And it kind of sends us back to the, to the burial of Jesus that after he died, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, two members of the Sanhedrin who were, who were believers, who had received Jesus as their Savior, wanting to, to honor Him, to take care of Him, had asked Pilate to, um, for, his, for his body that they might bury it. It says that Joseph even went and bought a linen shroud to, to wrapping men. He took some, some um, spices with him and, and anointed the body to some degree. Uh, as, as best he could. Remember, they had to uh, do this hastily. The, the, the Sabbath was upon them, meaning uh, the, the, the day they're not to work, that they're to set aside for, for worshiping and, and honoring God. The seventh day of the week, Saturday, that it would begin at 6 p.m. On, on Friday evening. So the two well-to-do respected but followers of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, went, went to Pilate, which according to Dr. Wolford, it was what made them ceremonial, ceremonially unclean and going in, in, in the presence of, of a Gentile like that. That didn't seem to, to bother them. They went, they asked Pilate for Jesus' body, then took it and, and laid it in the tomb. It was necessary to, to bury J Jesus on, on Friday evening to be obedient to the law. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 22, in the law of Moses, the law of God given to Moses, it reads, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So Joseph and Nicodemus, in obedience to God's law, knew that Jesus had to be buried that same day. So they hastily buy a shroud, which I think in and of itself tells us a little bit that, that though Jesus had told the disciples over and over that the Messiah would, would suffer, He would be spat upon, He would be killed, He would be crucified, that even though He had told them over and over, they had made no preparations for that. Joseph had to go out not only get permission from Pilate to, to bury Jesus. He has to go buy a, a linen shroud beforehand. And so they, they proceed to do all that. They, they lay him in the tomb at a time when all of the disciples have scattered except for the women. And John, he was there at the, at the cross. But the, they've all scattered. They're, they're scrambling to to get Jesus properly buried before the Sabbath begins. And then comes Saturday. It's, it's one of those events, the greatest event in all of, of human history. 
and it's kind of hard for us to understand just the emotions they were going through. Maybe, maybe not. But just, just walk in their sandals for a little while that these, the 11 who had followed Jesus for three, three and a half years and had dreams and hopes of the kingdom that, that He would bring. Now they see those hopes dashed. They, they all go into hiding. The, the women are, are faithful and stay by His side. John is faithful and stays there by Mary at the cross. And then comes Saturday, the Sabbath. They've, they've buried Jesus in obedience to the, the commandment on keeping the Sabbath holy. They, they can't return to the tomb. They can't, they can't do anything as far as anointing Him. And so they, they, they wait in their, in their grief, their, their mourning, their fear of being arrested by the Sanhedrin, the temple police, that, that it's probably the longest Sabbath day of, of their lives. And that brings us to Sunday. Mark records when the Sabbath had passed, the women bought spices. They weren't thinking this was really going to happen or this was going to happen even though Jesus had taught them before. They're, they're on their way to the, to the tomb. They had followed Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea and they knew where the, where the tomb was. They knew where, where Jesus' body had been laid. They want to continue what was started there uh, by on on Friday, by Joseph and, and Nicodemus, they want to just give Jesus a, a complete, thorough burial procedure. They don't have embalming. They're they're simply applying spices within the the linen shroud in order to to probably just slow or, or lessen the stench of decomposition. And they're worried about who's going to roll back this, this huge stone. They had seen it rolled in place. It was, it was called a, a, a great stone, a, a heavy stone, that it would have been on a, on a slope Going down in front of the uh, in front of the tomb, that after Joseph and Nicodemus placed the body within the tomb, they would have kicked the wedge out, and then that great stone would have rolled in place in front of the tomb. It's it's interesting um, that there are two manuscripts. Two ancient manuscripts that Peter Mayer, a historian, ancient historian, points out the Codex Bazay and Sahidic manuscript that in Matthew 27 they add the words that 20 men could scarcely roll it. It's 
probably an exaggerated embellishment, but uh, nevertheless, it just points out the just how large this this stone is. If it's to keep animals out, keep the smell in, that it was a, a very large stone. Those two manuscripts are the only ones that record it, so it's not considered to be uh, part of the original, and probably it was added by you know, an overzealous scribe as he was, was recording Matthew. But even without that, Matthew calls it a great stone. The women are concerned with, you know, how are we going to get it up? It is on a slight incline, would roll down easily enough by itself, but getting it back uphill was going to take several men. So the, so the first question is, who's going to roll away the stone? They're, they're, they're walking from where they had spent the Sabbath, going back to where they had seen uh, the, the two men bury Jesus. They knew where his body was, and they're, they're just concerned with who's going to roll away the stone. What's the point of that? I think the point is no one expected the resurrection. They're, they're taken totally by surprise. They're, they're going with these spices. Mark said they had bought spices. Kind of makes you wonder, after they've bought these spices, they go to the, to the tomb. I didn't see any mention about the spices anymore. You think they just left them there? They don't need them. The angels tell them that Jesus has ridden. I think they left them in their surprise, their fear, their trembling, but also the, the great joy that they had that probably just left those spices there. So as they go, Luke records in chapter 24. I, I, I like the way this starts. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite words, but... Man had planned all of this. You could say, but God. Luke in chapter 24 says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone was rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the Lord Jesus. They found that the stone rolled away. You think when they first saw that, what are they thinking? Oh, Joseph and... Nicodemus have come back and they're, they're adding more spices. They're continuing the, the, uh, the, the ritual and just the task of, of anointing Jesus' body, preparing it to sit there in the, in the tomb for a, a year or so, after which they'll, they'll reopen it and take his bones and put in an ossuary and then stage back in the back of the tomb. They're going up. They see that the, that the stone has been rolled away. But when they go in, they don't find the body. Luke continues and says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He is risen. The, the, the first part of that Paschal greeting that 
that Easter greeting. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The angel's sitting there. Of course, seems to be pretty common reaction when you see an angel that you're frightened. They, they see these two, two appear to be men in dazzling apparel. Probably quite natural. They'd be frightened. They, they bow their, their heads to, to, to them. And, and then the, the angels speak to them and, say, and ask, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is, he is risen. And then he gives them kind of a reminder. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day arise. Notice that he used the word must. I think if I was going to circle anything in John in Luke chapter 24, I, I, I circle that but in verse 1. After they buried him, they're going to, to the tomb to, uh, to anoint his, his body, to, to complete the, the preparation of his body to lay there in the grave and just decompose as, as corpses do. But on the first day of the week, God had already been working. And then the angels tell the, the women, don't you remember while you were in Galilee, he told you he must? It's, it's by divine design that Jesus was crucified, delivered to, into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and then on the third day that he would rise. This wasn't plan B. This was by God's design. These things Jesus had taught them must happen. happen. Now they have. So why are you looking for the living here among the dead? Verse 8 says, They remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And then Luke gives us a, a, a few of the women who were there, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and then he says, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So you're one of the apostles. You've been hiding for three days. You're going to believe them, right? No, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Why do you think they didn't believe them? The apostles, the disciples, didn't, didn't get it any more than, than the women did. They weren't any more prepared for, for Jesus to be arrested, tried, beaten, flogged, then crucified than, than the women. Just consider then, who did Jesus first appear to? Who was the resurrection announced to? Skeptics. I mean, they are skeptics to the modern degree. As skeptical as many that we encounter today, so-called scholars or intellectuals, that the women are skeptical. They're going to, to um, anoint his body. The apostles are even more skeptical. It says they, they think this is just an idle tale, just, just some, um, some made-up thing. It says they don't, they don't believe them. Maybe Peter's convinced enough. 
says that he, he, he rose and ran, stooping in the tomb, marveling at what he, what he saw. John kind of re records more after the, the, the women go and, and tell the, the apostles that they haven't seen Jesus yet, but they have seen the empty tomb. Uh, in John chapter 20, says that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw the stone had been rolled away. So she ran and went to Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That would be John himself. And said to them, they, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. The way he tells you that there were the, the other women were with Mary at the time, but John didn't, didn't name each of them. So verse 3, So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, just that picture of, of, of these men running in their, uh, in, in their apparel of the first century, the, the, the cloak and the, and the outer garment, and, and running, you know, pulling up their, their robes to run and pretty much believe that John is maybe even still a teenager here, so he's obviously in better shape than Peter. He outruns Peter, passes Peter. They, they, they both get there. John just looks inside, but then you have Simon Peter, verse 6. Then Simon Peter came following him into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in, in a place by themselves. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. So Peter goes barreling, or John outruns Peter. Peter finally makes it and just kind of barges in. That's exactly what you would expect of Peter and his, his personality. He goes in and looks around and he's just, it's like, what is this? He's, he's, he's staring and, and trying to, to figure it out. John goes in after Peter has made the, taken the first step and said, John, look, went in, he saw and he believed. And verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must first rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John goes in, he, he saw and believed. Don't know if he if he he apparently still didn't fully understand all of all of these things, but but you you wonder. I think Chuck Swindoll kind of kind of um, uh, wondered in in this passage the description. Did John whisper to Peter, "He's alive"? And then Peter kind of scratches his head, shakes. You know, shakes his head, no, and, and 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 they leave still perplexed out of all these things. John continues with with the the first appearance of Jesus to anyone in verse chapter twenty, verse eleven. He says that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. 
and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he'd said these things to her. After Peter and John left and went back to where they were staying, Mary just hung out there. The tomb is empty. She's been told by the angels that, why are you looking for, for the living among the dead? He's, he's risen, but she's still not getting it, not able to understand, not not fully grasping what what has happened and and she's rewarded in a sense by by that that lack of comprehension or or even even doubting when she turns away from the tomb and she sees Jesus standing there not knowing that it's that it's really him thinking that it's a, a, a gardener and and she she asks him where where have you where have you taken him why have you moved him tell me where he is and, and, and I'll go and get him and then Jesus opens her eyes and just says Mary and she realizes she's she's before the risen Lord before the risen Savior this woman who, whom she had loved and, and followed was, was standing right there in, in front of her. Matthew records uh, kind, of, kind of events happening uh, around the same time when the, the, the women were going back to, uh, to where they're staying, that Jesus appears to them it says they, when they saw him, they, they ran to tell the, the apostles that he was alive. Not surprising at all that they, they, they would run back to report these, these events. They, they've seen him. They know that he's been raised from the dead, that he is walking among them. But so far, it's just been the, the, the women to whom Jesus has, has a, appeared. Later in the afternoon, Jesus appeared to the, to the two disciples on the road to, a, to Emmaus, Cleopas, and, and the unknown, unnamed uh, disciple. Then later, 
that evening in back in Luke chapter 24 verse 36 <clears throat> this is later in the day early evening it says as they were talking about these things so the disciples the apostles have all gathered together they're talking this over Remember, we've got 2,000 years of, of familiarity with, with the accounts, with, with the happenings. They're living through this the, you know, the, for the first time. They've, they've seen the stone roll back, the, the empty tomb. Jesus has appeared to, to Mary and the, and the other women. They're, they're all sitting around. They're talking about this, trying to figure it out. Luke 24, 36, they were talking about these things. Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace! But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? That's the second question that sort of popped out at me this this week going reading through the passages the first one was who's going to roll away the stone the second one that that when jesus appears to the the apostles in a group says they were startled they're frightened they think they're seeing a ghost and he says to them why are you troubled why do you have doubts is he is he sort of chastening them for don't you remember what I told you? Why are you so surprised? You've heard from from the women that, that I'm alive, you've seen the empty tomb, that the angels have proclaimed it, and yet you're still frightened. You you're thinking that I'm a ghost. Why why are you frightened? Why are you troubled? Why do you have these, these doubts in your heart? And then he says, see my hands, my feet. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood as, as you see that I have. The disciples were, they were, they were skeptics. They were, they were trying to figure out these things. The, the resurrection was totally unexpected, even though Jesus had told them multiple times through His, His years with them that these things would happen. It, it totally caught them by surprise. You know, what would we do in the 21st century if, if we had followed Jesus, if we had had heard these things, he was he was uh, crucified and laid in a in a in in the tomb, sealed. Paul Meyer, the the historian, wrote that if Jesus had lived in the 21st century, his grave would have been guarded, but in a different fashion. Scientists would have set up sensors and video inside and out. Medical experts would monitor all his vitals. There'd be photographers all around. Theologians would be there discussing just what all that meant. And he kind of pauses and said, or would they? 
would we have done that? Would we do that today if somebody had made these claims? Says that possibly all the hints and foretelling that Jesus gave about rising on the third day would have gone just as unheeded today as then. That the first century original disciples and apostles were as skeptical as many are in, in our day that the central event of all history is still received with doubt, with, with skepticism, with, with unbelief. So Jesus gives them physical demonstration that He is really, truly alive. They think they're seeing a ghost. He, 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 he says, you know, touch my hands, touch my feet. You see that I'm real flesh and blood. A spirit doesn't have that. The third question is, is continuing in Luke there. Verse 40, it says, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So Jesus asked them, do you have anything to eat? He, he knows that they are still having a, a, a hard time believing this. They're marveling at seeing him. They're, they're rejoicing. It's just all of these uh, contradictory emotions going through, their, their fear, their, their doubt, but also their, their joy and their, their marveling. How can this happen? And then to, to prove even more than just his, his, his nail-pierced hands and, and feet and, the, and the, the spear wound in his side, he says, do you have anything to eat? It, it's, it's, it's almost humorous that, that he would ask them such a, a, a human question. But Jesus was fully man and fully God. They gave him a piece of fish. That's what fishermen ate. They still do. Gave him a piece of fish. Says that he took it and he ate it before them. Ghosts do not eat fish. A mirage can't make fish disappear. He is truly living and risen from the dead. Looking at the greatest event in human history and, and going back to Friday with the burial, the hurried burial, the apostles and the women waiting on the Sabbath. They, they can't do anything. Which, by the way, Matthew records in, in um, chapter 27 that while the, the apostles and women waited, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest, the Pharisees, they didn't wait. They went before Pilate, which was probably not what they should be doing on the Sabbath. It's, it's making them ceremonially unclean as well. They go to the Jewish to a Pilate and ask for a guard. Pilate agrees to and, and places the guard, that, uh, gives them the guard, which Dr. Walford 
in, in his commentary on, on Matthew quotes uh, Linsky as saying, seems like the Jewish leaders, they may not have believed it, but they were listening and paying more attention, better attention than the than the the apostles, those who traveled with Jesus for for three plus years, that they at least remembered what Jesus had said about the about rising from the dead. So that so the those leaders want to secure a guard just to uh, remove any doubts um, that they they asked for the guard so that in case the disciples go to steal away the body. I think they're giving the apostles way too much credit. It doesn't seem like the apostles were in any position uh, mentally or emotionally to concoct such a, a scheme. They, they didn't remember what Jesus had said about, about rising from the dead. And then finally, on Sunday morning, little by little, on Sunday, the, 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 the followers of Jesus, the women first, and then the, the men, the apostles, meet, see, touch, experience the, the risen Christ. Philip Yancey says that we on this side of Easter forget how hard it was to conceive of these things, let alone believe them. And he continues and he says, because death is irreversible, but here by the power of God, Jesus' death is reversed. He rose, he walked among men and women for 40 days, and then ascended back to the Father sits at His right hand, the seat of authority, and makes intercession on us. Read the passages when you get a chance, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and I think you'll see it is just a, a, a buffet of the greatness of, of God, of His, His power in overcoming sin and death. John Owen, the, the Puritan, wrote, the death of death in the death of Jesus Christ. Death is no longer an enemy. You know, Paul wrote, death, where is your sting? Where is the victory of the grave? It's no more because Jesus has risen. So read the accounts and, and, and then just take time to reflect on the events that are recorded. You know, Luke begins his account in chapter 24 with, but all those terrible things happened, but God on the first day of the week raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 7, why? These things must happen. It was God's plan. It wasn't an accident. 
the Sanhedrin didn't get lucky and just find Jesus when he was unprepared. Pilate had no authority over him. That this was by divine design, Jesus laid down his life. Think about the, the blessing that the women received for being faithful to, to the task, to their, to their ministry. They weren't expecting to see a resurrected Jesus. They came just out of, out of love and duty, respect to anoint the body. Probably an unappreciated task. You know, the apostles, why didn't they go? Maybe they considered it women's work. But who was the first to hear and see Jesus? The women who were faithful. They had been faithful to, to uh, obey the Sabbath law. They waited an, an extra day, and then they got the blessing of all blessings when they went and anointed Jesus' body. What else can we glean from this? One account that we, that we didn't, didn't read on, but from Matthew where it says that the angel rolled the stone away, and then what? He sat on it. Isn't that pretty much a sign of contempt or just, okay, it's, it's done. He just sat on the stone. The stone's just, just an object. You know, it's been said, probably hear it every year, but why was the stone rolled away? Certainly not to let Jesus out, but to let us peer inside and, and, uh, and see that the tomb is empty, that He has risen from, from the dead. Certainly the, the main point about all of the accounts is, is that God's plan was not derailed. This was His plan from the beginning, that Jesus came to be our atonement, the atonement for our sin, and then to rise from the dead, that we too might have that hope and assurance of the resurrection, of, of spending our eternity with, with God, and that God keeps His Word over and over that the angels tell, the, the, the apostles, the women, that this, was, this happened to fulfill Scripture. God had said these things centuries before, announced in, in, in Isaiah, the Psalms, and throughout the Old Testament. Of, of what would happen, that God keeps His Word. Philip Yancey quotes C.H. Dodd and says, who says that the resurrection is the epicenter of, of history. It's not a belief that grew up in the church. It is the belief around which the church itself grew up, the given upon which, uh, which our faith is based. That because of the resurrection, we have faith in a, in a risen Lord and in the salvation that He provides. Father, I thank You for all the accounts of the resurrection that we know these things happened to fulfill the, the promises that You had made to Abraham, to his children, just through the centuries that all the things that were prophesied concerning the Messiah, that they, they came true. 
that by your power he was raised from the dead and sits at your right hand now. God, I just thank you for loving us that much, for your mercy and your grace, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, for us, and then by your power he was raised from the dead. God, may we just pause this Easter and reflect on how great your, your love and your mercy is. And that it, we too, like the disciples who ran to tell others, the women who ran to tell the men, that we would put our beliefs, our salvation in our lives in such a way that we would be in a hurry to tell others about it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.